You may remember hearing on Gareth Jones on Speed recently that I was struggling with the strap line for the programme, Gareth Jones on Speed, the podcast for petrol heads, and that no longer necessarily applies with so many electric vehicles around at the moment. We love them just as much as we love petrol and diesel and hydrogen. So what do we make the new strap line for Gareth Jones on Speed? I am deeply grateful to Neil Baldock for this suggestion, inspired by a cousin of mine, Grace Jones. We should now dub the programme Gareth Jones on Speed, A Slave to the Driven. Nice. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. He's Zog. Hello there. And he's Alex. Hi. Nice choice of jumpers, boys. <laughs> uh, great minds think alike. And fools seldom differ. We're looking very rustity today, aren't we? What are the chances of this happening? I think all the rustic colours there. Are we in the autumn of our years Lives. now? He's <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear me. How are we boys? Soccer, what's going on? I'm spending too much time fiddling about with flight simulator stuff in order to avoid doing some work, basically. Excellent. That's most of what's going on at the moment. Procrastination. What are you flying where? Well, I was doing a couple of sort of test flights just for practice between Southampton and Heathrow, just to kind of, sort of warm myself up again. My last flight was from Seattle to Las Vegas. Well, it's like a homecoming for you, isn't it? Las Vegas. As I can't go there in person right now, I thought I'd fly there in the virtual world in lieu of a proper trip another time. Good. Alex, how are you? You've got a new little buddy parked outside your house, haven't you? I have. I have a Citroen Ami on my driveway. Not taking up much room on your driveway, eh? I've parked so many things in that space. (laughs) Rolls-Royce Phantoms, Range Rovers, Ferraris, you name it. And the Ami is so small. It just sort of sits in and there's, there's acres of space around it. I don't entirely know what to do with it. It's great. It did only arrive this morning, so I have not driven it because I've been in meetings all day. But I've driven it from just outside my house to in my house because some lovely people dropped it off on the back of a trailer today. And it's such a lovely little thing because it's made entirely of plastic. It looks like a micro machine. The driver's door, because it's left-hand drive only, the driver's door opens backwards. So it's got one suicide door and one normal door. Can't call them suicide doors. We have to call them carriage doors or something now. Okay, it's got one carriage door and one normal door. And you open the doors on a bit of string, basically, like a 911 GT3 RS. Mine's got a spoiler. I don't know why. Wow! Yeah. (laughs) I know why. It's to show you which is the front and which is the back, otherwise you wouldn't be able to tell. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, because the, Actually, that's the so back has red lights, whereas the front has clear lights. <laughs> of course. Because it's the same, it's just two halves glued together. I've been reading up on me specs. The thing that is going to slightly fox me, because I don't have charging at home, is that it takes three hours to charge it, and it's only got like a 5.5 kilowatt hour battery or something like that. So there's a Macca's down the road from me, so if I have like a really long big mac while it charges because the charge cable's buried in the door so you open the passenger side door and the cable's there and there's an adapter to turn the plug into a normal plug 
Nice. Yeah. It's a fun little thing. It's just very small and very sweet and very twee. I wonder what the fastest charging rate it will accept is. A hundred? Uh, no, it's nothing, basically. It's really? Slow, isn't it? It's only only trickle charges. It won't do any sort of rapid charging. No, because there's no point. Ah, interesting. And I guess that's one of the things that keeps the cost down. Yeah. I'll be intrigued to hear what you have to say about it next time we speak, Alex, because I think it's a terrific little thing. It seems to me they've done a lot of smart, interesting things design-wise. Yeah. I'll be interested to hear how it works out for you practically. As a fellow Londoner, what it's like, this is exactly the environment in which it's designed for, yeah. which I think it should excel. If you're living in the country and you need to do longer distances, not so good. It'll get you to the pub and back, but that's about it. The thing is, I've got a job tomorrow that's 22 miles away. And the range of it is 44 miles. Uh-huh. And part of it is the A40. And I've decided I'm not going to take it for that because there is a risk of faff. Yeah, unless you could definitely, definitely charge. But I've got other little jobs on Wednesday in the middle of town. So I can bimble into town and bimble home. And I found a six foot four friend who wants to see if they can fit in it. So I'll bimble over to them and see what they think of it. And yeah, it it seems a little practical. I haven't figured out what the big red button on the steering wheel does yet. So I'll get to the bottom of that. It turns it into a robot. As long as it's not one of those buttons that when you press it, illuminates a sign that says, please do not press this button again. I'm sure you'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Douglas Adams, I think. Yeah, Yeah, good. Well done. Very good, Z. Well, I would be intrigued to find out. It seems to garner a affection this car yes it's a happy little thing Mm. Mm. and that itself is something to be respected or rewarded because that's very unusual in a lot of cars these days in most cars you don't have that sort of relationship that you might with a twingo Mm. the morgan three-wheeler you know oh it steps outside of being a car it becomes a personality in some ways yeah no i suppose all cars have personalities but this is coming in via the I'm cute and I'm harmless door, which is a nice mm. door to come in. Oh, feel the love. Yeah, it's a sweet little thing. Sweet. You're right, yes. It, it absolutely has this, you know, cute, friendly vibe. Mm. Yeah, it's a cute, friendly Pokemon of a car. But, <laughs> cute, friendly um, Pokemon of a yeah, car. Yeah, it's a Bulbasaur of a car. Bulbasaur. <laughs> but it's practical. It's not practical if you are somebody that needs to move a lot of big furniture regularly. But if mm. you're somebody like me who really only needs to use a car for relatively short trips in an urban environment. And when I'm doing that, I'm not usually taking more than personal stuff. It might be some camera and computer gear, fjords and sods, some shopping. Personal mobility. It fits my use case very, very well. It's very practical for me and for a whole bunch of people like me. Because one key thing about the AMI is its size. You know, it takes up very little space. And we live in crowded cities. All space is valuable. Road space is valuable. We should be making our urban vehicles small, neat and compact, not yeah bigger than they need to be. Yeah. Japan um, has yeah. a whole class of K-car which is below yeah, a certain yeah, size, yeah. which has worked very well for them. I used to own one, as you know, of course. But yeah, the yeah. idea that legislation in cities has to be different for vehicles or can be different for vehicles can drive that. And the AMI is sort of in there before legislation is forcing it. Do you know what I mean? Well done. Unfortunately, it seems that we do need sort of the legislation or the rules to, to nudge us that way. Yeah. Basically, you need the stick to force people to downsize a bit yeah. and mm. drive more urban-friendly vehicles. 
Talking about legislation or rules, guidelines, regulations, the new F1 cars have started appearing. And because there's not that big a difference in the regulations for the car this year as last year, I am massively underwhelmed by everything I've seen (laughs) so far. I miss the days when a car launch would come out and hell, it might have six wheels and a fan and a new kind of wing. You know, what we've got is a subtle refinement of what we've had before. Am I the only one who's underwhelmed? I mean, they do make some very nice stickers these days, don't they? (laughs) That's what it's about. But it is, yeah. It's just a bit of different livery here, a bit of different livery there. Yeah, I'm not very excited by what I've seen. You know what I really did like? And being a sort of arty-farty type, there are a few artists I have an eye on. Oh, yes, Uh, darling. uh, There's a few artists I really like. I think it's Red Bull, their pre-livery unveil, by the way, we're, we're now Ford. They got Mr. Doodle to do it. And yeah, I really like right. Mr. Doodle stuff because it's just fun, whimsical and nonsense. And it just looked really cool. And I saw it and I was yeah. like, I really hope they race with that because that would be sick. Yeah. But sadly, they have to race with all the sponsors and with a big blue oval on it. Yeah, they're really conservative, aren't they? Yeah, and that launch, I kind of got rather bored and drifted off during that Red Bull launch. It did drag on a bit before they got to the point. Shocking. And there wasn't so this, the mention of Ford was a little bit sort of less of a thing than it might have been. I was just astonished that you had a car with the word Honda written on it on stage and Ford get all the attention. I mean, that <laughs> is some kind of insane marketing no-no that they've crossed there. Two brands sharing the stage, what the hell? Enough. Don't get me started on that. I'll rant on about that all day. But yeah, in terms of livery, it's a Red Bull, right? Yeah. The Williams. Actually, the Williams kind of nice because we have that lovely Duracell battery on the air intake that they ran at Miami last year. And it is a real novelty item. It's, oh, the Duracell car. We'll remember that. It would have been nice to have seen a bit more golf of course. on the Williams. Now that they've announced their golf tyre. Like so many other motorsport fans, I'm just a sucker for golf livery. And you're a Williams fan. You always have been on record a great supporter yeah, of Williams. Yeah. I admire yeah, that. Yeah. It's been a tough time for us in recent years. Yeah, maybe. So. But yeah, apparently that golf logo is going to get bigger and move around on the car. And there will be special liveries throughout the season. That's just introducing the idea. Mm. But I, that's great. Great to have golf. But is that yes. the most exciting thing that we've got so far in the pit lane? I know we haven't seen... Okay, we've seen the Alfa Romeo as well. And there's some dispute whether the render was the car that they ran or what. It, you know, They're all obfuscating at the moment, aren't they? Oh, I managed to say that with my lisp. You won't really see what the real cars are until testing in Bahrain. And even then, they've only got, what, three days testing? And the car that they will race at the first race will be different again, such is the rate of development at this point. What else have we got to be excited about? Alpha Tauri have got a bit of red on them now. Yeah. Aston Martin is very imminently unveiling its car at time of recording. Yes, seven minutes away from their launch. I'm going to guess here and say it's probably going to be green. I would probably swing that way with a serif font. Very good. And the Ferrari, well, we'll see, we'll see. Everything's been pretty conservative so far. We're going to air before the Ferrari, the Patronus, Ineos, AMG, Formula One Group Team Consortium's car, and the Alpine A523 is the number that they're using for that. I don't quite follow that. We have to think about that. But yeah, underwhelmed so far. What have we got? Oh, the McLaren happened today. Did you see the McLaren today? No, I to miss that. What's it like? I thought that was tomorrow, actually. Go on, guess. Guess what the McLaren's like. Is it orange? Yeah. 
It's orange. Yeah, the McLaren. Actually, you can see McLaren is vaguely similar to last year's paint scheme. You can see the contrast between this year and last year's car, and you can see that McLaren have done some work to move their side pods further back down the car. They're trying to create some clear air behind the front wheels, apparently, and that's an interesting approach. It's the only one I can actually read and understand, I think, what they're trying to do. Yeah, it looks great. looks like a McLaren. It's unfortunately got those coloured wheel rims, those Google coloured wheel rims, Zog, which I know you don't enjoy, that look like rainbow wheel rims. They've still got those. Yeah, they're not good for me. Nothing against having a rainbow scheme on the wheels, but they look a bit funny to me. But lots of black, a lot more black on this and all the cars this year because they're trying to shave weight. So when you see black, it is unpainted carbon fibre. Leaving paint off to save weight because the yep. changes in safety regulations have meant more weight in the car, more mass around key parts of the structure. Weight goes up, you've got to lose it somewhere. And this is actually really good. If teams are on the limit of weight and they're having to leave paint off to get down to weight that has to be a good thing it has to be a good thing if they're struggling to get down to weight rather than finding it too easy and having a lot of room to work with it. in the past they've been so underweight that they were able to carry ballast and move that ballast around from strategic points on the car yeah to change the weight balance forward and rear a little bit I'm guessing that's really tricky for them right now. They're talking about real fine changes, aren't they? If they're scraping, what's the weight saving from painting a car? A few kilograms, maybe? Who knows? Fascinating. It's going to be sort of in the single-digit kilogram range. Yeah. You wouldn't use more than, well, I'm guessing five kilos of paint on an entire car. That would be pushing it, wouldn't it? It must be probably less than that. Yeah, so you're saving hundreds of grams rather than kilos if you're leaving paint off parts of the car, I guess. But I guess that's enough to make a difference. But you know what? That's all we're getting in terms of excitement for the launch at the time of going to press. You know, ooh, it's a bit more black. (laughs) The first round of the 2023 Formula One Championship takes place... In Bahrain this year, which means that it's at a convenient time of the day for us to watch here in the UK. Whereas for many, many, many years, the first race of the season has been in Australia. That meant having to get up in the middle of the night to watch the race or qualifying or even testing, which meant you've got to go to bed early and try and get to sleep and all the anxiety that comes with that. So with that in mind... Here's a song I've written and recorded about exactly that. And because it's set in the 90s, it's in the style of Portishead. Or in our case, Portisneck. This is Midnight.
dance me! Alex, you're a man of extremes, I think, in <laughs> my head. Well, at the moment, right. anyway. Because you've got one of the cutest and smallest things parked outside your house at the moment with that Citroen Ami. Wet. But you drove something in some ways almost akin to that, quite sort of monstrous and Herculean. But I suppose the thing that unites these two cars is that they are both utility vehicles. Am I right? And please explain the car I'm talking about. Yes, you are entirely right, because I've been driving the Ineos Grenadier, the car that Brexit didn't build. Oh, yeah, it's built in France, isn't it? It was going to yeah. be Wales at one point, I believe. Yeah, the car story, it's been talked about endlessly, but it's the brainchild of Sir Jim Ratcliffe and his mates who were drinking at the Grenadier pub and went, I want a Defender, but I can't have a Defender. What if we made one of our own? A bit like that sort of Futurama thing where Bender goes, well, I'll build my own casino with blackjack and hookers. In fact, forget the casino and the blackjack. <laughs> um, <laughs> he and his mates went, all right, sod it, we'll build our own car. And because the gym is very, very pro-Brexit and everything must be British and done in Britain, he was going to build it in Wales and he was going to be an all-British product from an all-British company and all that jazz. And then the news went out, I think not long after the design of the car or around the time that the car's design was unveiled, where they went, actually, we're going to build it in France because Mercedes has offered us a factory ready to build cars and a workforce that knows how to build cars rather than having to build our own and train people up and supply chain and yeah, uh, yeah. like it's just everything was there so all the people going whoa, whoa, it's, it's not very british is it <laughs> actually as far as business decisions goes really smart it was a genuinely clever thing if you look at it from the emotional side of things yes it did rather dick over us wales but if you were a business person in that same situation, you probably would have done the same thing. Hmm. It's got to exist, doesn't it? The vehicle has to be a vehicle at the end of the day. So, yes, that did put a lot of noses out of joint. But it's British designed. It's sort of tested, engineered, all that, all that stuff over here. What a lot of people are expecting is a Defender. But the thing is, the Defender was rubbish. it was really bad it was an objectively bad car and people who own them and drive them and love them admit that yep you know there was no room for your elbow the steering was naff it was noisy it was bouncy even though it was massive outside it was tiny inside largely (laughs) pointless vehicles it was a reverse tardis of a thing it was ludicrous what sir jim and co have made is a defender that isn't a defender it was quite funny on the launch event in lovely Scotland. There were a load of grenadiers parked outside this glorious hotel in the Highlands, and there was a sort of group of walkers up there. And they were like, Oh, you see all those defenders outside? You see all those oh, defenders? Oh, did they say that? And then one of the Ineos team swooped in and went, It's a grenadier, actually. And they went, What's that? Mm. So there's going to be an image problem for a while, especially in the uninitiated. Well, you say image problem, Alex, though. I'm not sure how much of a problem it is. Yeah. Because, yes, it looks like a defender. Yeah. And. For anybody other than, you know, car geeks who know that there's this Grenadier thing, you know, everybody's going to look at that. And go, that's a Defender. That's a Defender. And so, credit where it's due, they have absolutely achieved what they set out to achieve in making something that is certainly appearance-wise, design-wise, is like a Defender. And you're going to tell us how much worse or how much better maybe they do the job of doing what a Defender is trying to do. But I have to say, my very quick first impression of it is that they made a decent fist of... 
making something that's actually an off-road thing and not, you know, an urban vehicle. And they've sort of committed to the idea of doing this mm. Defender Tribute Act. <laughs> yeah. They seem to have pulled it off quite well at first glance. And there may be a bunch of things I don't like about the project, and I don't think I'd ever buy one. But I admire and I like the fact that they're doing something distinctive and they seem to have nailed the landing. Mm. They do say you know, that there are elements of other legendary, iconic off-road vehicles in there as well. So there's a bit of Land Cruiser here and there is a bit of Defender there. You know, mm. Essentially what they wanted to do was build a ladder chassis, permanent four-wheel drive vehicle capable of climbing up a mountain. And if you feed all that into an AI, you will get something that looks like a box on wheels, which is uh, yeah, what they yeah. all are. Right, yeah. yeah. So yeah, as a product, as a thing... It's kind of fascinating because it's had this sort of very public development and normally you don't get that. You'll get a reveal a year or so before it comes out and you go, this is a car, what do you think? And then you get to the launch and people go, well, that was a car, I have thoughts. (laughs) Whereas this, we've known about it for years. It has been under great scrutiny, I think more Mm. so by the Brits and the British press than others because we were told... It was going to be an hour car, it's a British car, whatever. But now the car is out. It exists, it's a thing, and it's an odd duck. You drove it in Scotland, off and on road? Yes, driven it and accidentally in snow because it shit it down the day we landed. <laughs> Great. Took off from London, it was a bit cold, landed in Scotland and there was an inch of snow on the floor and it just didn't stop snowing Lovely. <laughs> overnight. Well, that's potentially good. Yeah. Yes. That's almost an optimum circumstance for testing a new off-road vehicle they wanted it to be tested and oh boy it was tested there's petrols and diesels both three liter bmw straight sixes with turbochargers on them and zf8 speeds so yeah zog you and i are of a similar stature we are about the same height ish perfectly proportioned is i think what you're you know perfectly proportioned however you and i will struggle to get into a grenadier because on the driver's side there's no handle to get in and it's really high off the ground So you've got to grab the steering wheel and kind of hoist yourself in. And when you get out, it's not sort of a delicate step. It's a short fall and you just sort of clatter out of it. You know, it it could do with a step. I'm sure there's an option for a step. But neither of the cars I drove had the magical step. Hmm. There's a grab handle on the passenger side. The rear, there is space for putting a child seat in the back. And that's not difficult. When you're in there, though, it's pretty cool. You've got switches on the roof to do your diff locks and hill descent control and off-road modes and things like that. And then the switches underneath the centre stack are aircon and things like that. And there are a couple of off-roady bits down there as well. They're all big and pleasingly chunky and it makes you feel like you're going off on a big adventure. Only minor downside with those is that the ones on the roof, it's all grey. And there are some colours on there, but not a lot. So unless you know exactly what you're doing, you don't quite know what you're hitting. Yeah. So you've got to sort of pay a bit of attention to it and look up and show the world your nose, which is, yeah, a little odd. There's no rev counter or speedo over the wheel. There's just a sort of little indent for warning lights, yeah. none of which came on while I had it, incidentally. Instead, that's all done on a central touchscreen thing, which has got CarPlay on it. And the right side of it, at least in the cars we drove, were marked for speed and car bits. And there's screens you can go through there when you're in off-road mode to see what the vehicle's doing at any given time. And it's all quite cool. I think it's 2.8 tonnes, something ridiculous like that. So even though the motors are quite perky, 
yeah, even though the motors are, they're not slow. But you can change the laws of physics and you're moving a lot of steel around there and you're going yeah. to take a while to get that going. The petrol will do 0 to 60 in 8.6, which again isn't slow, but it's not mega quick. And it gives up at a just shy of 100 miles an hour, which for the road, people might have some words with. But it's not made for the road and it's kind of evident when you're driving it on the road the gearbox is great the power delivery is great but the steering is really weird it's like it's not really connected to the wheels i mean you turn the wheel and the vehicle changes direction but it's very floaty when you're yeah, yeah. when you're straight lining it and you don't really have loads of confidence in it yeah like a g-wagon yeah the throttle response is good the brakes you know it's a really heavy car so it's not a leave a lot of space but be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> like driving a heavily laden van, you know, you change yeah. how you drive, you know, you have to. There's a couple of other little sort of quality of life things that are just a bit odd about it. So the rear is a split tailgate, something like 70-30. Split vertically. Split vertically, yeah. Not like an old yeah. disco, but sort of like a van. Hmm. So one side, the bigger side of it has the spare tyre on it. And then the little side has the ladder on it or whatever. Now, you would expect you would open the bigger side first. You do not. You open the little side first. Radical. And because there's naffle room on the little side, you can't really get much in it. But there's a big tyre sort of in the way as well. There's lots of stuff. So you have to sort of either thread stuff through or go, oh, sorry, I'll just open the whole thing. So you can see the idea that they had, which is, oh, you just throw small stuff in there and it won't matter, like a pair of boots or something. But for other people doing stuff that little bit of practicality actually becomes more of a hindrance it also because the door has the tire on it rear visibility is basically non-existent Mm -hmm. wing mirrors are good they're nice and big that's fine but yeah out the rear window pretty much nothing again it's, it's this more sort of people weren't thinking kind of stuff where the aerodynamics of the thing again doesn't need to be aero but if there's gunk on the road your side windows get covered in it really quickly. So you can't see left and right unless you do them up and down. Uh And the windscreen is very small, which is fine, except the windscreen wipers are useless. So when there's gunk, you are blinded really quickly and then you can't easily get it off. So things like that just haven't quite been thought of. And there's little sort of style choices in there as well. The one thing that got me, so when you look into the centre console, you have the beautifully leather upholstered handbrake then you've got the BMW futuristic gear lever, and then you've got a sort of cue ball, old school style knob to do your low range gearbox. Yeah. So there's three style choices there, and they haven't quite picked which one they want to go with. Does it want to look like yay oldie weldy off roader? Does it want to do the future thing? I mean, they have to do that because that's the form factor that comes with the gearbox. Or do they want this nice leather upholstered bit? And there's little bits of leather here and there, and there's little bits of old school here and there, and there's a tiny other bit of future in it. But it's little things like that that you go, you know that a legacy car maker would never have made that choice Mm. because it's really incongruous with the feel of the vehicle, the brand, the whatever. Either it all would have been leather bound or it all would have been old school. But you have this mix of styles and these little details that are just missed. Like, why isn't there a grab handle on the driver's side? Because it is really tall. Did they actually give it to a family? We're talking about, you know, billions of kilometres of testing. But no one went, this is annoying. Why didn't we change that? Mm -hmm. You know, nowhere to put your left foot, all that nonsense. Places to put your feet wasn't a problem for me. I know I think some other people have complained about it, but it's not an issue that I have. I've heard something about this. In the right-hand drive version of the car, there's something intruding. There's a manifold intruding into the footwell, which means that the right-hand drive 
version of the car in your leg position is really seriously compromised, which is, well, you can't do that. It's not something I noticed, but I only have little legs, which is why I more keenly noticed that I had to fall out of the car. (laughs) (laughs) A short fall of gravity. A short fall. Things like that, lack of the grab handle, some things like that, they seem like rather silly emissions that could have been remedied relatively easily with Mm. slightly more rigorous testing or better feedback or a better process, whatever. Yeah, well, just putting people who weren't INEOS people in it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they've done all the testing and it, it sounds like I'm down on it. And the reality is I'm really not because it's not meant for people like me. It's not meant to be judged as a car to go to Sainsbury's in Mm. because what it does really well is go up stuff and down stuff incredibly well yeah like unbelievably well we had chunky bf goodrich tires on it you know you press the off-road button then you go there's a hill and it just goes minimal fuss the steering might be a bit wonky on the road but off-road you can place it really easily you can give it just the right amount of power the diff locks it's all mechanical rather than electric because they want to be able to fix that stuff with you know hammers and spanners so you press the button and you wait for the thing to go right this is locked once it's had enough movement and then off you go. And it just does the thing. Mm. And the scope of that ability is kind of staggering. And I'm not saying that just as nerdy city boy impressed by vehicle that does thing that I would never normally do. I was driving with a farmer, lovely man called Charlie Flynn. Not sure if he's a listener, if he is. Hi, Charlie. He does bits for Farmers Weekly. So he does the cars for them. He was telling me like he and his mates really looking forward to the credit here because they've had Defenders and things like that, and they've had these utilitarian vehicles, and the Grenadier sounds pretty much bang on what they all want. You can hose down the inside. It will go up stuff and down stuff without any fuss. It has X feature and Y feature. While I was mucking around, I said to Charlie, is this this all right? Hopefully you're okay. He's like, fine, I'm, I'm amazed. This thing just does it. And then he went off and did farmer things, and we had a whale of a time. Yes, Gareth. Question from the Welshman. (laughs) Question with the back. More of an observation, really. We have had vehicles that do exactly that for some time that aren't Land Rovers. Yeah. The pickup. Here we are. I'm talking about the pickup again. I know context is everything. We talked about the pickup in the last show, Bad in the City. The Toyota Hilux, the brief Mercedes X-Class, the... Nissan Navara. Navara, which was the Mercedes X-Class. Yeah, which also was something else as well. The Renault, Renault had one for a while, didn't they, as well? Mitsubishi, they all do that stuff. Even the Amarok, I've driven the Amarok over some incredible territory and been astonished at its ability to wade and the Hilux. So I think it's going for a slice of that market Mm. and it will get it in Britain and great, good luck. I hope there are enough farmers looking to change their car in the next five years to get them over that initial hump. He's bankrolling it at the moment, Jim Radcliffe. Yeah, yeah. I can't see it going viral and being a massive, massive hit. But will he get his return of investment from it? Or is he just filling a niche? They've spent, I read, I read, I read a number, something like billions on this. Mm. Or over a billion. Certainly lots and lots of zeros getting it from an idea in a pub to a motor car. Good on him. And they were very honest on the launch. The new lady at the top was there and she was like, we're not going to stop at just this. Of course, there's the pickup coming, but there's going to be a smaller vehicle. There are going to be other Ineos's that all become this sort of stable of more utilitarian or more fit-for-purpose off-road vehicles 
than your Jerry McGovern special with touchscreens and buttons that you can't press with gloves yeah, on yeah. and stuff you need laptops to fix. That's what they're going for. A car you can drive with your gloves on and your boots on. Yeah. That's a very, very important thing for an awful lot of people. Yeah. It seems to be schizophrenic, this vehicle. Here it is, a ladder chassis. Yeah. And a steel body but very soon it's going to have a pure electric powertrain and there's going to be a hydrogen fuel cell version with the tech provided by hyundai hyundai there is currently a hydrogen grenadier in testing the hydrogen grenadier it is a thing that exists they showed us a picture of it and everything they're testing to see how it works and how they can do it fascinating whether or not it'll rush to market very quickly i don't know but at the moment you can have a petrol or a diesel, and that's your lot. It's interesting that hydrogen is the alternative non-internal combustion variant that they're developing. When you say hydrogen, do you mean hydrogen internal combustion or hydrogen fuel cell? A fuel cell. Hydrogen fuel cell, also fuel a battery cell. electric okay. version, I believe. My first reaction is it's surprising, simply because the hydrogen infrastructure in the UK is pretty poor yeah yep. so i would have thought if you're a farmer in the middle of england somewhere mm. in the middle of wales you would find it much easier to keep an all-electric grenadier yep. charged up and ready to go than a hydrogen vehicle wouldn't you the thing to remember here zog is what mr ratcliffe's other business makes ah it's a chemical company, isn't it? And what he makes a vast quantity of, so it might be in his interest to... To promote a hydrogen economy. Maybe There that. is a movement towards <laughs> yeah. the adoption of hydrogen for commercial vehicles at the moment, yeah. which is happening at a mm. faster pace than road cars. As this vehicle straddles, if you like, a sort of commercial function and a personal function, it might be able to plug into a network that these people are already familiar with. No? No. Well, okay, I'm sceptical about that because my understanding of why hydrogen does work better for a lot of use cases like public transport, buses, freight applications, one of the reasons that hydrogen works better for those people is that their fleets of vehicles tend to operate from or go back to regularly central depots, central locations, where you can have your hydrogen infrastructure. Mm -hmm. A local hydrogen plant. And if you're a big freight company, you can afford to install that. If you're a farmer, it probably makes a lot less economic sense to install stuff that makes hydrogen. Mm. Doing something with your electricity supply is going to be much easier. Yeah. So I'm a little sceptical about that. Electric vehicles are taking off in the agricultural sector because they've got big three-phase power supplies in their barns you can put in charging points that charge not only electric quads or electric forklifts but electric tractors electric road cars electric transport vehicles you know it really is happening in the agricultural sector and i'm talking about battery electrics here so we're all changing we're all adapting Mm. the thing i actually like most about the grenadier i think now that i've got used to it when you first see it it's a bit like Looking at either a G-Wagon or a Land Rover Defender, you haven't got your glasses on or you're wearing someone else's glasses, right? It's like, hang on, is, yeah. is that being distorted some way? Oh, it's 4 by 3 picture that they're showing us in 16 by 9 It's been stretched. Now that I've got over that, I recognise it. Oh, that's what Ninius Grenadier looks like. Mm. Yeah, it'll take a while for it to kind of seep into the public consciousness. Yeah, maybe. The Land Rover that it will inevitably draw comparisons to... That's been around since the 40s. 
it's a shape ingrained in human consciousness. Mm. Yeah, yeah. People who don't know cars know Land Rovers, don't they? It's that good. Yeah. yeah. People who don't know cars yeah. know what a Willys Jeep is because it's the World War II Jeep. People who've been near a farm know that that's a Defender. It's going to take a while for it to be a thing. But it's gotten off to a flying start. And I think that how capable it was... Shouldn't have been a surprise, but it was genuinely impressive. The way it waded, the way it climbed, the way it would descend, the way it didn't scare me at all in the way that a lot of off-road stuff where you just put your faith in a computer and you go, all right, electrons, do your thing. And I do think while it isn't a car for the likes of us three who live in cities, as my man Charlie was saying... Him and his mates are really excited by it. Cool. And there's a market for it there. So it's not a Defender, and that's a good thing. Because, let's face it, Defenders were rubbish. I keep calling it the Land Rover Pretender, which is unfair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm quite intrigued by this car's history and development. It's been good. I've driven lots of Land Rovers and lots of trucks and 4x4s and pickups off-road i really enjoyed taking this somewhere very hard and also steering it slowly wallowingly down the road yeah the thing i actually like most about this car is when you look at it it's got this sort of schizophrenic quality hasn't it it's an old thing with lots of new stuff on it in the same way that the morris ital looked like a marina (laughs) for the next generation there's something sort of 70s and 80s about it when you look at it it's a bit sort of bolt on to an old idea some modernist sort of things and because of that it looks like the Metro Simca Rancho of course in some ways a car which I've always admired that sort of utilitarian quality but there's something you know Polsky Fiat about it as well yeah. you know that they've put on these modern accessories on an old thing and that's not a bad look if you can make it work and I think it makes it work I'm quite intrigued by it it's good I think the final thing saying it really is for a first go for a non-legacy car manufacturer, it's blinding. First throw at the dartboard, almost yeah, on the ball. first throw at the yeah. dartboard, they've done a really good job. But there are those first draft bits that are missing. It's like I've written road tests and left out the MPG or the price. And it's like, it's just doing that when you're starting out in your career and you miss a really important detail and you go, oh, I've done that. And that's kind of what's happened here. But as a first crack goes... It should be the start of something quite exciting. And if it's not, refer back to this and I'll just look like a prick. I'm going to finish with the whole grenadier analogy again, which is it feels like its superior officer has called it in. Like, grenadier, in here, Ineos. Now, look, you've done all right so far, but buck up your ideas. <laughs> right, lads, off you go. I think that's it. You've been listening to me, Gareth, to him, Zog. Goodbye. And to him, Alex. Bye. Remember, buck up your ideas, you two. <laughs> For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! Speed!